if you're going to be an elite athlete, elite athlete, you need to have a coach. In fact, uh, one of the places I do chaplaincy is at Edgebaston Cricket Club. And these elite athletes don't just have a coach. They have a coaching team. They have physios. They have all sorts of other people that support them to help them to do their best to arrive on match day in peak performance and ready to go and ready to beat the other team. If you want to compete at serious level, you have to train and you have to train hard. And that is something worth remembering when we think about our Christian walk. And in this short passage we have, I think we're going for the jugular. I think it's actually one of the richest passages, I would say, in my view, that talking about mental health, well-being, I think it's got so much in there that if we really plow ourselves into it, if we really wrestle with it, and if we really take it on board and listen to it, then I think it will change our lives. And so the overarching theme of what I want to talk about very quickly in the next few minutes is obedience. It's obedience. As a sports person, you have to be obedient. You have to listen to the advice you get given. There's no point getting a coach and then not listening to him. We've been watching tennis, haven't we? They've all got the coaches on the sideline. And I'm sure they have their little conflabs and say, okay, how can I beat this person? But if that tennis player doesn't listen to the advice, then... He may as well not bother having it. And I, I mean, I, I don't know the makeup. I don't know everybody in this room. If you're not a Christian here today, I hope that, you know, you may have been invited because somebody said there was a, a guest speaker coming. <laughs> All I can say is you're a week early. The really good guest speaker is next week and the next few weeks. So apologies for that. I do hope it doesn't let you, let you down gently in that. Um, but if, if, if you do, I just want to tell you that the good news of Jesus is hope. And there's a message of hope that's found in the Christian gospel and in the, in the words of the New Testament that is really, really precious. And I'm guessing most of us are Christians this morning. And my desire for you is that you feel strengthened and encouraged in your faith. That you want to commit to Jesus all the more. That you go home and you say, Jesus, I just need to commit to you every fiber of my existence. And so like the athletes, you want to run that race to win the prize. Like the boxers, you want to fight the good fight. And so that's why I've called my talk Winning True Contentment. Because there is a prize here for us. And keeping on that sporting theme, I just want to go on to something which the world will tell us like Adidas. Oh, hang on a second. Impossible is nothing. I don't know if it's jumped two slides, maybe. There we go. There we go. Okay. Impossible is nothing. And in society, we can sometimes kind of hear this thing of self-belief, impossible is nothing. And actually, the message from Paul today, very similarly, is, oh, it jumps two or three times anyway, I am able to do all things. So it sounds the same, doesn't it? Impossible is nothing. I am able to do all things. But there's a secret here. Impossible is nothing for Adidas sort of means you buy their goods, you buy their sporting gear, and you can achieve perhaps. That's what they want you to think. Whereas actually here in the Bible we learn impossible is nothing. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it's pointing us in a very different direction. And that's the theme of the talk. I'm going to have a look at what the world might be saying to us about contentment particularly. And actually what the Bible says about contentment. And I'm just going to contrast those two as we go through. Because we all know that in personal well-being in the UK, 
is not great at the moment. Uh, there was a survey done just before the lockdown. It was called Personal Wellbeing in the UK, March 2020. And some of the, some of the things from that survey showed that life, satisfaction, happiness, and, and anxiety had all deteriorated the previous year. So this is pre-lockdown that it deteriorated. Anxiety pre-lockdown had increased by 6.3% according to this year-on-year -year survey they do, which was the largest annual increase in anxiety since measurements began in 2011. Average ratings of happiness in the UK fell by 1.1%, so happiness fell, and there was a significant re reduction in life satisfaction. And then in March, the following year, March 21, uh, we saw, hang on, I wonder if I've got this. There we go, perfect. UK falls five places in the global happiness index, whatever that means. But again, they do these surveys around the world. And then in February 22, so earlier this year, happiness among UK young people hit a 13-year low. And after two years of COVID restrictions, 36% of people said they'd never felt more alone. And I think we could say that not just applies to young people. I think we all possibly felt that. And perhaps the elderly even more so. It didn't, it didn't say in there. And so what I want to just present to you is this, these three points. Number one, true contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Number two, true contentment is a learnt behavior. We have to learn it. And finally, true contentment flows from our reliance on Christ. So those are the three things that I'm just going to cover off very quickly. So on the first point, oh, look, there's a screen here. I didn't even see that. There we go. I've been looking over my shoulder. I can keep my eye on you now. That's great. That's brilliant, that is. <laughs> Thank you for that. You should have told me. You said you don't need to look behind. There's a screen down here. Perfect. So let's have a look at this. Uh, the world says... True contentment is found in self-fulfillment, I think. I think there's a lot of that going around. We are self-centered beings, aren't we? We want to be comfortable. We want to have everything, don't we, really? Let's face it. We want to have everything. And perhaps we think when we have our health, when we have security, income, relationships are perfectly lined up, our holidays are nice, we will be content. And we find that, don't we, actually? We do find contentment in the natural, don't we? When things are going okay, you can go home, get a cup of tea, and sit down on the sofa. That's a nice place to be. Looking after, number one. Isn't that great? I might have used that phrase myself in the past. Perhaps you guys have. Certainly somebody said that to me once when I was changing jobs. They said, oh, you're looking after number one. <laughs> and there was something Christian inside me that was like, uh, I don't think actually I'm supposed to be looking after number one here. But anyway, it was the right thing to do. So I moved jobs. But uh <laughs> So let's look at verse 6 to 8 again of the passage that we read. And what we're going to find is that although contentment requires, uh, that although contentment requires us to do something, it is totally unconnected to our circumstances. So let's, let's just read this through again. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
Whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence or if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. There's an instruction there. We have to do something. You see, true contentment flows from obedience. If we listen to these words, we, I think, will find ourselves surrounded by grateful, healthy thoughts. That's something I need. <laughs> That's something I need. In verse 12, he goes on to say, I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Notice how he can make do with a lot. Have you ever seen that before? What is, what is he saying here about true contentment? It applies to people who have more than enough. That actually we can be utterly discontent with more than enough. Sometimes whether we just assume that contentment comes uh, naturally when we're well fed, when we're living in abundance. But I think those statistics that we saw at the start prove that that is not the case. I think my own life experience and your life experience probably prove that is not the case. Jim Carrey said this once. He said, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they dreamed of. So they will know that's not the answer. Contentment does not come from having everything we ever dreamed of. Obedience to the word of God, however, even when it's tough, is what brings us contentment. That's what this, this passage is telling us. So when we recognize that our own resources, our own feelings are not enough for lasting joy and satisfaction, at that point, we can open ourselves up to the fact that God is the only one who is enough for us. In his letter, James picks up the same theme. And I've preached on this somewhere else, actually. He says this in chapter 1. Consider it great joy, <laughs> my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials and temptations. Great joy. Do we consider it great joy? It's a tough one. It's an instruction, and there's a reason why he said it, and I think something of what we're looking at today can maybe help us when we are in that place of trials and temptations and we do not have a joy in the natural. I think we've got something to turn to here as a foundation for our life. So point one, true contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Point two, true contentment is a learned behavior. And so, as I said, we're going to look at what the world says, and I think... Um, I think the world says we have a natural desire for more. We don't resist it. Don't resist your natural desire for more. We're wired to store stuff up, hoard it, gather, store, save, keep. Society, the media, the advertisers all want us to, to feed our selfish gene. It says, it doesn't take much for me to fall into this trap that's carefully laid by, by people. I mean, I'm just just as selfish as the next person. I, I remember once I had a, a, a sales job, and, uh, and it was a nice sales job, actually. And, and as I was a sales rep, I always had company cars. And this car that I got for this job was a Jaguar X-Type. It was the nicest car I'd ever driven in my life. It was lovely. 
And one day, God pulled me up short when I was driving around, sales rep, you know, you're driving all over the place. Because I, I, was, I was stuck in a traffic jam, I think. And I was looking at this absolutely gorgeous car next to me. I was thinking, car, look at that amazing car. And suddenly, I just felt this sense of, wow, you're driving the nicest car you've ever driven. And now you've got your eyes on the nice, a nicer car next to you. I will never be content if I live my life like that. And so uh, that was a really helpful Helpful reminder not to keep looking elsewhere to be content. And what does Paul say about it in the passage? He says, in, oh, there we go. There, that was it. <laughs> that wasn't the exact car, but it was the closest I could find online. There we go. What does Paul say? I don't say this out of need. Okay, so his context is he's, he's thanking the Philippians for their support. But he's just clarifying he's not hinting that he needs more support. And just on that point, I should really say, and I meant to say that at the start, but actually I just want to say thank you to you guys for your support of Chaplaincy Plus over the years. Uh, you may not know it, but Alton Baptist Church give us a donation and uh, to support the work of our ministry in the city. And I am just utterly grateful for that, grateful for your sacrificial giving and your support of us. So thank you for that. That, however, is not a, not a hint here. Here we go. If you want to give more, you can do. But I don't say it out of need. I don't say it out of need. But Paul here says, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And he repeats it a little bit later as well. Learn the secret of being content. It doesn't come naturally. Paul had to learn it the hard way through his own life. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he didn't have an easy life, did he really? In 2 Corinthians, he said this, five times I, was, I received the 40 lashes minus one, which is the Jews believed if you gave 40 lashes, you'd kill them. So you did 40 lashes minus one. So five times he received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I've faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false, false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Like the athlete that goes through the training, Paul learned in the midst of his hardship and difficulties the, the secret of being content. But remember, he also says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. And so there were times in his life where he had an abundance. He was plenty well-fed. Maybe, maybe tent makers were well-paid back in his day. And when he was doing his tent-making job on the side, he had plenty of money to go out and dine at the best restaurants. He learned the secret of being content. How would you or I fare with that kind of training. Do you fancy that? <laughs> no. Actually, a more relevant question actually might be, what kind of training for contentment are you currently in? What kind of training for contentment has God got you in at this precise moment? Perhaps it's a training through loneliness season for you. Perhaps it's a training through job uncertainty 
Perhaps it's a training through grief. I thought of three. There'll be lots of things we could be going through. And perhaps you think you're amongst the fortunate and the training that you're currently going through for contentment is comfort and plenty. I just want to give, if that's you, I'm going to spend a little bit of time there. I want to give a word of warning to you if you think you've got the easy part of the deal there. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says this, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. And to Timothy, Paul writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, and Paul's talking to Timothy, but he could be talking to us. So you, man and woman of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue those things. Pursue those things. And so let's remember that in the plenty, in the times of plenty in our lives, that plenty cannot be the foundation for your joy, your happiness, your satisfaction. Because ultimately it's not yours. It flows from God and it will be taken away from you when you die. <laughs> and in the drought, you can learn that he is all-sufficient and can provide your every need. So we've looked at True contentment not being connected to our circumstances. True contentment is a learned behavior. And whatever season we're in, we have to go with that learned behavior. And finally, I want to present to you that true contentment flows from a reliance on Christ. And when I say true contentment, I meant to say this at the start. By true contentment, I mean lasting contentment. And I'm not arguing here that you can't be content in the natural. Of course you can. There's lots of people who seem relatively content. But actually... Lasting contentment takes you all the way through to the grave and beyond. And I just, want to start, I just want to say that actually what the world says is positive thinking and self-realization. Positive thinking and self-realization. If we think positively, then good things will happen. You control your own destiny. You can think things into being almost because of your positive thinking. Now, on one end of the spectrum, it's really easy to subscribe to the principle of positive thinking. Anyone who knows me, for example, anyone who knows me, knows that I'm a prime proponent of positivity. But it does bleed very easily and quickly into the self. It bleeds into the self. It bleeds into Self-realization. If you haven't come across this word or this phrase, let me tell you what the dictionary definition of self-realization is. It says this, fulfillment by oneself of the possibility of one's character and personality. 
You can do it yourself. Fulfillment of oneself by the possibility of character and personality. And in, in the Indian understanding, self-realization is liberating knowledge of the true self. So once you know your true self, it somehow liberates you. I've got to say, my experience is the complete opposite. <laughs> I know my true self. And actually, I believe the Bible talks about us being broken and in need of a savior. Yogapedia, you didn't even know there was such a thing as Yogapedia, and neither did I, explain self-realization like this. It said that once a person reaches self-realization, their new vision and understanding of themselves brings them continuous and perfect happiness. <laughs> Bill's laughing. You know me too well, Bill. What can I say? New age thinking like this follows very closely behind positive thinking. Watch out for it in your own heart. I've even seen it in segments of the church and some preaching. And so we finally land on this verse of the day, Philippians 4, verse 13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. We're called higher. We are called higher. Thank God. Literally, thank God. You are not asked to believe in yourself. And if you're anything like me, you'll be jumping up and down for joy at that. <laughs> we are in many ways, we are in many ways, aren't we? The pinnacle of God's creation. You know, we have uh, creativity, adaptability, talent, dexterity, but we are also oh, oh, oh so limited, aren't we? We might think we know a lot. Humankind has acquired a lot of knowledge and it's all on Google. <laughs> But actually, it's just, it's just a percentage of a percent of what knowledge there is to know about the universe and everything. And this is the idea that Paul's been working towards. I can do the things that God is calling me to do. It's not a catch-all statement, and I think sometimes this verse is misused. And I can do all things, you know, through Christ who strengthens me. I believe it's focused in, it sits in the context of contentment, isn't it? And so I believe that when we are striving for contentment, that actually we can hold on to that verse and say, Lord, thank you that you, you can enable me to, to find contentment in my situation. So there's a promise there. But I also believe that we can extend it legitimately, biblically, out beyond just contentment. And, and so I think, I think it could apply to anything that God is calling you to do. I think it can apply to the way God is calling you to live. Because we're challenged, aren't we, by the Bible and the instructions. We're talking about obedience. Actually, we're only going to be able to be obedient to the will of God through him who strengthens you. So what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that he's got for you? Perhaps you're challenged at work to think about how how you can make your Christian expression more obvious to your colleagues. Perhaps it's, it's just the example you want to set to your friends and family. Perhaps it's other things that he's, he's got for you. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. It's through his strength and only through his strength. He calls us to reach out to his supernatural strength, right? You're not to do it in your own strength. 
In this strength, you'll be able to do the two things that I've just talked about as well. Because actually, if you notice, and I'm just going to quickly go back over them again, potentially, those first two points you can do without God. Potentially, you can. You can read and understand biblical principles. There are lots of self-help books around, uh, around you know, being content outside of your circumstances. We can recite the serenity prayer. And we can find some peace and, and, and stability in that without God. And the second point was that contentment can be learned. And that actually we, we won't necessarily find it in the natural. And so, again, we can do that without God. Who needs God for either of those two points? Theoretically, you can do your best. And that's what people are doing. But this last point highlights that true, lasting contentment can only be found through Christ Jesus, through God. The other stuff is good, but it's not the best. Are we settling for second best? Are we settling for second best? Because it's only in and through Christ Jesus that we can find true contentment, that we can find true strength to battle through, that we can find true inspiration to see us through the good times and the hard times. So let's be obedient to the word of God. Let's pursue Jesus. This is my closing statement, really. Let's pursue Jesus with everything that we have. Let's lay our lives out before him, bare again, and say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. But I know that I can do it through your strength. Hold on to that truth. Pursue him and lean hard so that you can be a follower of Jesus that thrives after all he did say I have come to bring life and life in all of its fullness we believe that don't we so let's press into God and move forward through his strength and power father just thank you so much for this time thank you for uh, your word giving us wisdom uh, thank you for <coughs> just fellowship and being able to exchange ideas and lean on one another but Lord we thank you most of all that you don't call us to do this journey on our own and I just want to pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and bless each of us. Lord, whatever's been helpful in this talk, I pray that you would cement it in our lives, that you would cause us to change and, and be more like you in each day that, that goes by, Father. I just pray your blessing on the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen.